Our scripture reading this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 19 and 39 through 40. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and from him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable, innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And all these, though commanded through their faith, did, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Um, we thank you for... Um, just the countless examples of faith um, given in your word, um, Lord, that we can use uh, the Bible to know you, um, that it is sufficient to know you, um, that everything we need to know about you is in your word, Lord, we thank you for that. Uh, Father, I just pray uh, for Phil this morning as he comes um, and brings your word, um, that we would just receive it with open hearts, um, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would be talking through him. Um, and that we would grow closer to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this morning we have the, the pleasure of having Phil uh, Poots. Is that, is that correct? Did I say that? <laughs> uh, he's uh, spent, um, he said, a lifetime serving in the NAB. Um, he just recently moved from Fargo to Blaine here, so we're welcome. Uh, we'd like to welcome him here this morning. Him and his wife, uh, Joe, is also here. So thanks. thank you for being here this morning, Phil, and bringing thank your, you. his work. Thank you. Good morning. How's everyone today? Good. Is that good? That's great. It's good to be here. Good to uh, be able to share the Word of God with you today. Uh, thank you for reading Scripture. Wonderful worship this morning. The words in your worship songs are so appropriate for any time and specifically for today. So I have, want to start by asking you a question. How many of you have ever wanted something so badly that it was all you could think about? Raise your hands if that's true. Okay, we got some, most of you raised your hands. A few of you are still in denial. Who hasn't had that in their life once in a while? Um, 
Joe and I just got done kind of binge-watching a lot of Olympics, as maybe some of you did. Uh, Jade Carey, the Olympic uh, gold medal winner, uh, when she was asked how this was for her, she said, it was all I ever dreamed of. Not, not many of us have had that experience where you could say, it was all I ever dreamed of. I almost did. Uh, I grew up on a farm, long way from any town, attended a country school for my first six years. Uh, my father had been quite an athlete in his day, and, and I really wanted to be one, but there was not much of an opportunity. Uh, he had played basketball and baseball, and uh, I had a cousin who played basketball in a small town close to us, well, not so close, 11 miles away, uh, and I desperately wanted to do the same. Uh, and for f uh, finally, our little one-room country schoolhouse closed, as all of them eventually did, and we were bused to that school, and for four years, I got to play basketball on one of the teams. Now, it was never very good, um, but, but I loved it. I loved playing basketball. Um, and then our little district realigned, and uh, we were bused 15 miles to a larger school in North Dakota, a Class A school, the biggest size category you could be in. And uh, I wanted to play basketball, but my folks just couldn't see how I could be taking the family car and driving 30-mile round trip every day on gravel roads. You know, that was just a bit much back then. And so for my 11th grade, I just kind of wanted to, wanted to, wanted to. And finally, in my senior year, they relented and they let me try out. And the coach worked with me through noon hour shootouts, and, uh, and I made the team. It was amazing. I got, the, I got the purple and gold uniform, and, and I got to play some, not so much, but it was awesome. It was everything I had dreamed of. But then the day before Christmas, halfway through the season, the coaches called me into the office, sat me down, and said, Phil, we want to bring up a, a couple of freshmen to the varsity this year, and we've decided that you won't be on the team anymore. Middle of the year. So would you go empty your locker and bring us the uniforms? I was devastated. I was devastated. Everything that I dreamed of had vanished in just an instance. Can you imagine what it was like to come back to school after a Christmas vacation after that and just kind of walk around kind of ashamed and embarrassed? Um, and, and it really was kind of unfair and unkind at that point, but I now know that this was just a piece of God's work in my life to begin shaping me for other things. But it was so hard. You know, as Christians, it's pretty normal for us to think that our relationship with God is very personal, and so it should be. But it's not only personal. God isn't only interested in making us happy and secure and fulfilled and successful. And sometimes when trouble comes, we may feel that, uh, that God has withheld his blessing from us. You ever felt that? And when we're discouraged or upset or, or angry, maybe even because of what's happening in our lives, maybe it's our career, maybe it's Anybody been concerned about the politics around us lately? You know, there's that stuff going on, all kinds of stuff. Evidence of sin in our culture. 
It's easy to forget, and don't forget it, that God is in the business of governing the course of this world. He's not absent when things go wrong. He's even more present. It's not out of control for him. Nothing will stop the success of his kingdom. Nothing will stop the victory of his church. Nothing will stop the fulfillment of his purpose. Nothing stands in his way. Nothing ever has and nothing ever will. God has always been calling his people, no matter the circumstances, to join him in what he's doing. And what he's doing is building his kingdom on earth. And eventually it's going to become very visible, but not today. His fulfillment of his purpose is happening even now, even though it sometimes seems dismal. But like you, maybe, I'd just as soon wake up in the morning and have things pretty well honest, uh, honestly uh, easy and predictable. Have you shaken your head recent days when you see people who seem to feel entitled for things that they might not deserve? Then when I look in the mirror, I see a guy who probably wants some things he doesn't deserve too. Of course, the things I want are far more justifiable than all those other people. (laughs) We do live in an age of entitlement. Joe and I laugh at a TV ad where uh, this Medicare recipient is saying, I want all I'm entitled to. And we go, of course you do. Employees want their lives and jobs to be easy. Husbands and wives often enter marriages with interesting expectations, like I'm sure that he'll put his clothes in the hamper when they're dirty, or she's certainly going to wake up as beautiful in the morning as she was last night. But marriage isn't that, right? Even though it's wonderful. Parents can promote those kinds of expectations, too with their kids by just giving them anything they want, never saying no, never even discussing things sometimes, and or sometimes hollering at them and not enforcing. I mean, we're all tempted to those things because it's hard being a parent and sometimes being hard being a kid. My brother-in-law says it's hard being a man. So, you know, life is hard. But you run around and you see T-shirts uh, on kids saying spoiled, brat, Sassy by nature and things like that, or troublemaker. Uh, Joe, my wife, has been a substitute teacher for many years, and we saw a T-shirt not too long ago that she could really identify with. It says, Dear teacher, I talk to everyone, so moving my seat won't help. <laughs> yeah, so you, you're there. But those selfish expectations will eventually leak into our relationships with each other, and certainly our relationship with God. To think for a moment that we can dictate our will to him or that we can say that we're truly following him and yet turn away from the things we know he wants us to do means something's gone wrong with our faith. True faith is different than that. And this passage that you just heard read is part of the whole chapter, which is called sometimes the Hall of Faith or the Hall of Fame, listing all the Old Testament people who were faithful to God even when life didn't turn out the way you and I would want ours to turn out. And Abraham and Sarah, part of whose story you just heard, knew that. We should too, but it takes constant reinforcement, 
I'd like you to just keep one question in mind as we proceed through the rest of this time together. And it's this. Just ask yourself, just be alert to this. What things that I consider my rights really belong to God? Just, just let that linger a little bit. As you heard the passage read, uh, three things jumped out at me right away when I, when I was looking through this passage. And we could have spent like hours and hours just looking at every, every person there. And the same thing is there. But Abraham and Sarah are such a composite of all of this. These three rights that often are claimed, that if you're honest with yourself, that from time to time you may have claimed them too, keep jumping out. First of all, the right of residence, the right to live where I want to. Secondly, the right of control. Thirdly, the right of quick gratification. And they all kind of meld together in certain ways, but I'd like to spend a few moments on each of them this morning as we look at this passage. First of all, the right of residence. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance in me. I just put a parenthesis in here of my words. He never actually received the inheritance, but his descendants did. But in the sense, he did. So he would rather re later receive his inheritance, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land and so forth. I don't know, how many, how many of you have made a, some kind of a move lately? Any kind of move to different home? If to, yeah, okay. Was it a long trip or short trip? Short, yeah. Well, I've, we've made both kinds. We just moved to Blaine two and a half years ago. I'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, what about making a trip when you really didn't, really didn't want to? Making a move when you really didn't want to? Um, that can be even more difficult. Moving is the pits anyway, because you have to, first of all, you have to decide what you want to keep. Then you have to pack everything up and load it up somehow, and then unload it, and then unpack it. But it gets worse than that. Your kids probably have to get used to new schools. Uh, you might have to find a new bank. You're going to be around different neighbors, meet different people, which can be fun or it can be hard. You're going to find new doctors, a different insurance agent, get connected with new utility companies and figure out where to shop for groceries and then how not to get lost in your area. It's a bit of a pain. Uh, Joe and I have made five moves uh, distinctly related to our ministry lives in our lifetime, uh, starting with our move away from seminary. And then two and a half years, as I said ago, we moved to Blaine uh, to live closer to one of our kids in this stage of life. Uh, back in the day, we moved not only to different places, but we moved long distances. We moved across uh, the country a few times, half the country anyway. And, uh, and so we moved to slightly different cultures, even though they were all in what one of our Canadian friends calls the excited states of America. Um, each time we believed that God had called us, but there were always some adjustments. Some of them were difficult. And uh, so we, we, uh, we know what it's like, like to make those, those moves. And moves can come for many different reasons, of course. Sometimes people get promotions and move. Sometimes people choose not to take the promotion so they don't have to move. Sometimes folks bathe all that stuff in prayer. Sometimes they just take every opportunity that comes their way. 
Uh, I don't see a lot of elderly people here today, but it may be that one or another of you here is thinking about uh, maybe the day is going to come when you're going to have to leave your home, go to an assisted living facility or a care facility, and uh, leaving the familiar in that way. Might we be alert to see that God has allowed us to move to those places, not just for the external reasons, but because he's putting us next door or somehow in contact with someone who needs to know Jesus. When God told Abraham to pick up stakes and move, it had to be quite an event. He had a wife, he had servants, cattle, sheep, possessions, probably had some kind of a dwelling place. We're not sure what that was like. Uh, he did not have the Old and the New Testament to go back and try to do a theological study on how God calls people to different places. He only had, and I say this facetiously, he only had the voice of God. And uh, from now on, their home had been traded from a tent uh, to a tent for sure, and they'd move when God spoke. And, and uh, I can only envision, just imagine the conversation that must have happened when Abraham had this conversation with God and he came back and told Sarah, we're moving. You know, you said we're going to do what? During uh, our last year of seminary, Joe and I, we were in Sioux Falls at North American Baptist Seminary, then now Sioux Falls Seminary. Uh, uh, we really envisioned that we would minister uh, in places like we grew up. I grew up out in the country, small town church, 11 miles away, and she grew up in a small town, and that was kind of what we thought God would do in our lives. And there, as we prayed and we thought, we agreed together, we may even have told God, I'm not sure, that we were pretty sure he would never call us to one place, and that was the state of California. Well, the joke was on us. We served there twice in our lifetime. And every one of those experiences was amazing. Uh, there are so many unknowns when God moves us. How can you deal with them? Will you sharpen your spiritual ears to listen to the voice of God like Abraham? I hope you'll listen and obey like he did, even if you cannot be certain about what tomorrow will be like, because that's a product of faith. To think and talk and listen to God and then make the move you're convinced he wants, even though like Abraham, you might not know exactly what that's going to be like, is part of trusting God. Some of you may be in process or maybe pretty soon choosing a university or a career path. Uh, some of you parents are watching your children grow up and wondering what they're going to become in their lifetime. And... Uh, uh, Sometimes, uh, I think some parents have, have kind of rewritten an old country song and, and written it, uh, Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Preachers. Um, and uh, I, I know we had a, a lay leader in one of our previous churches who had a son and two daughters. His, he was a farmer, and his biggest desire was that his kids would just settle down right around him and they'd be around him for the rest of his life. Well, the two girls began to be interested in ministry things. And they ended up getting some training and they went here and there. And uh, he kind of almost begrudgingly allowed them to do that. He was always concerned about this, this stuff. And, and then the one found a guy who then they got married and, and they now live six states away from him. And the other gal lives a long ways away from home, the boys farm and the farm. But as this process occurred, we watched, we watched Bill change 
his attitudes, change his mindset about this. And it was amazing because previous to that, I can remember him being very conservative about supporting missions from our church budget. And all of a sudden, that got turned totally around. He became an advocate of mission support. And he even personally supported young people going into ministry. It was amazing what God had done in his life. And, and uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing what's happened in our lives, too. Joe says that we gave our kids wings and they flew away. So now we have two sons who are pastors in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And a daughter lives in the Portland, Oregon area. And, of course, our oldest son lives here. We live nearby them now, but we haven't much in their lifetime. During our early ministry years, we used to sing a song, Whatever it takes to be closer to you, Lord, that's what I'd be willing to do. And we, I think we meant it, but we, when we sang it, had no idea what God had ahead of us. We have found that everything God has had ahead of us has been good when we've walked in his will. It hasn't always been easy. We still wonder sometimes, but we don't regret a thing. How about you? Have you, or are you willing to surrender your right of residence? Can you imagine living outside the Twin Cities? Or can you imagine going back to where you grew up and wanting to be there? Um, is, that a, is that a priority in your life? Is there a different area you have in your life, though, that says, God, I'll go where you want me to go? Well, there's a second right that I mentioned, and it involves a right that uh, if we talk about it, might strike fear in the hearts of men and women. I've called it the right of control. Uh, the question arises, what can you do and what do you do and how do you respond when things just go spinning out of control or when you know that God is leading you towards something, you feel an inclination to do something, to go somewhere, to be something uh, that, that doesn't totally make sense to you. Can you imagine Sarah sitting in the other room and the angel's talking to Abraham and says, uh, you're going to have a son. Now, you may not know the history totally. If you read, read the Old Testament, you do know that Sarah was 90 or 91 years old. Any volunteers here today, ladies? Probably not. Father of the Bride, too, is uh, known as a horror show to some people. And then Abraham listening to God, and God's saying, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. And even though it says God had said that through this son, your offspring will be reckoned, and they're going to be as many as the stars of the sea and the sand on the beach, kill them. That's what I want you to do. These things are hard. We, we remember a, a call that we got at our parsonage one time in our early ministry from a young lady, probably in her 30s, early 30s, uh, asked if she could come over and talk to us. And we said, sure, come on over. And um, she came over and we sat down at the dining room table. I can still picture it there in that old parsonage we lived in. And she burst into tears and began to sob uncontrollably. And I thought, oh no. Her husband's been unfaithful. They're getting a divorce. I was thinking all the worst possibilities. And once she got uh, control, she began to talk. But you have to understand, this, this was a very structured lady. She had her life planned. 
They had the perfect family. They had a son and a daughter. Done. That was it. And she was crying because she was pregnant. And she was embarrassed. She was angry. She was frustrated. She was fearful and all of those things. Because they hadn't planted any more children. She realized she'd lost control. All of her plans were up for grabs, even her career that she wanted to pick up. But as we watched through her lifetime, now she had three great kids. Uh, she became kind of a different woman. She became more pliable, more resourceful in her life. God had done a work in her life. Um, I'll, uh, I'll remember uh, uh, when we had to deal with our kids just taking off. I remember sending our son John in this little geo metro across the border by himself to Edmonton, Alberta. And you know what happens when kids go to school in Edmonton, Alberta? They find girls in Edmonton, Alberta, and that's why he's up there now. Well, that happened with two of them, not just one. And then how many of us plan, planned on a pandemic? Our lives have been turned upside down for a year and a half, and it's not over yet. People have experienced through it anxiety, and living in isolation may have uncovered some things in our souls that we really don't like about ourselves. And besides, obviously no one's wearing any this morning, but for a long time uh, we were wearing masks, and the variant kicks up again. We may be wearing them again in stores and everywhere we go, and it, it's no fun. And besides that, some of us became just kind of sick of living with each other so closely for so long and no one else to talk to. Maybe you're feeling a bit like Abraham who was commanded to do the unimaginable. God had miraculously given him and his wife this son. And now he was asked to sacrifice him. This son who would be a bridge to all these descendants. How cruel it must have seemed. But Abraham had come to believe God implicitly. At that point, Abraham had to deal with the issue of who was in charge, and he believed God so much that he was ready to plunge a knife or whatever they did into his son on that altar on the top of the mountain. I can't even imagine that. Can you? I mean, that's awful. It's terrible. And then God stopped his hand and said, I have a sacrifice for you here. But now I know, he said, now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And that statement became a foreshadowing of this God who did give his son, his one and only son, to die for the sins of the world. That son, Jesus Christ, who was a descendant of Abraham through his mother's side. I know that God could have done anything at that point, but in his plan, Abraham's decision and God's intervention is the reason that the Messiah would be born of a Jewish mother 2,000 years later. Just picture that. But Abraham's commitment was such that he was ready to do what God commanded. And I have to ask myself, am I? Maybe you can ask the same question of yourself. Are we willing to comply with his leadership in our lives? And then third and last, 
the right of quick gratification. This has more to do with what uh, the Hebrews writer says about all of the people in Hebrews 11, but it includes Abraham and Sarah. What can you do when your deepest desire, your most pressing need is not being fulfilled for a long time? All these people, in verse 13, were still living by faith when they died. They believed that God wanted them to just wait on him. How about you? Are you willing just to wait on God and, and to... Uh, I lost my place here. I've, I know what I want to say, but I want to say it in an orderly way. There we go. Ugh. Paper and dry fingers. These people he's talking about said, the Hebrews writer says, we're longing for a better country. And later in that chapter, it says at the end, he said, God had planned something better for us so that only with them or with us would they be made perfect. These people are still waiting for redemption. Only they're with the Lord, but they're waiting for the total redemption that happens when Jesus returns. I'm telling you, I used to tell my kids Philip stories before they knew who Philip was. Keep them happy when I wash their hair in the bathtub and stuff like that. Uh, I told them when Philip climbed up the windmill when he was three, which is a true story. Couldn't get down. His mother had to climb up and get him. It was a tall windmill. I'm still alive. God must have kept me for something. Uh, let me tell you another one. When, when uh, I was 11 or 12, uh, I'd had a horse since I was five. And uh, back in those days, being a cowboy was a big deal. You know, Roy Rogers, Gene Autry, Lash LaRue, all these cowboys, which you're going, what, say? I'd never heard of them. I'm not interested. Really, you should watch some of the old cowboy movies. They are so good. The horses run so fast on the screen, because they speeded up the screen. Anyway, stuff like that. Um, the film, not the screen. So the one thing that I really wanted, I didn't have. Um, I didn't have a saddle. If you've ever ridden horse, any horse people around here? All right, oh yeah, I, you know, I see you as a horse person. Uh, if you ride, if you wear it, ride bareback, uh, in the spring, when you haven't ridden all year, something happens to the insides of your legs. The sweat of the horse and the rubbing on the horse, it's painful for two or three weeks before you get used to it again. And that, I just hated that. I wanted a saddle. My dad was afraid to give me one because he had a friend who was dragged to death when he was young by getting his foot caught in the stirrup. And so he was, so he, instead he just let me fall off. He thought that was safer, I guess. But now, it was Christmas morning. And I woke before any of the family. And I snuck out to the tree. And there it was. It was a new saddle. Embossed leather. You could smell the leather. I was ecstatic. I was so excited. I couldn't wait to get it on the horse. 
But then I actually awoke. It had been a dream. And I remember it so vividly. And you, you have these vivid dreams. It was so vivid that I thought it was real. And then I woke up. And it wasn't Christmas, it was July, and there was no tree, and there was no saddle. And I remember for, like, the rest of that day, just feeling let down, kind of disappointed, because <laughs> I thought it was true for a moment. Well, two years later, Dad finally thought I was old enough, and he got me a saddle. It wasn't Christmas, it wasn't new, it didn't smell great like new leather, but I did, I did really love it. Two years might seem like a lifetime, but what about these people? These people who are still waiting. These people who waited for an entire lifetime, but they waited in faith. Have you seen God's promise delayed in your life? Have you wanted something so badly that you could think of it only most of the time? How can we trust God if he doesn't give us what we want, what we think he's promised, or what we think we deserve? Maybe for a long time you've desired a marriage partner, a child, some kind of career success, the salvation of a spouse, and you're slowly losing hope. If you're looking for ultimate fulfillment in what you want, your eyes are in the wrong place. As hard as it is, you need to lift them because God's timing is perfect, but it's often not instant. Take the example of these Old Testament heroes. Because of their faith, the Hebrews writer tells us that God was not ashamed to be their God. For them and for us, he's preparing a perfect city where there'll be no need, no unfulfilled desire, no disappointment, no tears, no fears, just joy and worship of the one who saved us from our sinful self. Some of us think there might even be golf. Does that mean we just sit down and give up? Of course not. We're, we're called to live, to make decisions, to serve others, to share the gospel until that day. But if, like my grandfather in his elderly years, we just walk around stooped and with our eyes on the ground, we're only going to find rusty nails and stones and cracks in the sidewalk instead of looking around and seeing what God is doing around us and even in us and through us. The thing that keeps us going is a faith that's willing to wait for God to act, and faith always produces hope. That's what Paul said, that faith produces perseverance, character, and hope, even when we are suffering in the midst of it. Friends, we need to keep our feet on the ground, our eyes on the sky, we need to be constantly reminded to follow the examples of those awesome people about whom the Hebrews writer says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what was promised. And we have already received a wonderful promise from God that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever puts their faith in him will not perish but have eternal life that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and we have this Bible that holds nothing but truth, absolute truth, all the time. All the hope of those heroes, whether they knew it implicitly or not, they had the sense that God had someone coming. There was someone coming all the way from the fall, we, the fall of Adam and Eve. We know that 
God said that there would be an offspring of Eve and that his heel would crush the head of Satan. And that is Jesus Christ. That is Jesus Christ, the hero of heaven who will one day emancipate the earth from sin and failure and disappointment and redeems everyone who calls on him. The critical question is whether we are most committed to our way or the progress of the growth of God's kingdom. What comes first? I believe Abraham and Sarah's testimony of faith is telling us that we need to have gas in the tank and the U-Haul reserved to go where he wants us to go. We need to cultivate soft, listening hearts that recognize that God is in control, not us. We need desperately to daily yield the right to get our own way because his way always is better and puts us in step with the greatest purpose in the world, and that is helping people know Jesus. The good news is that in the midst of that kind of life, there is joy and a fulfillment that's only beginning now. And I call you to that. And I know these are things that most of you may be new. I'm not telling you anything new, but boy, I need to know this and re-know it every day of my life. It's so good to share this wonderful passage with you. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for the example of Abraham and Sarah, but thank you also for the example of every, every other Christian around us who lives in faith and trusts you. God, I pray that you will grant us the ability to put our eyes upon you and to be willing to go where you want us to go, to do what you want us to do, and to wait until you move when the time comes.